Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and I am joined today by Richard A. Fowler, television commentator, radio host, and millennial messaging expert who currently serves as a progressive contributor at the Fox News Channel. His written pieces are featured in The Hill, The Brio, The Root, Huffington Post, and more. Richard, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Oh, thanks for having me. Yes, it was my pleasure. And um, I love your work. I love your writings, specifically at Forbes. Let me just do a little fanboy. <laughs> Let me just do a little fanboy on you before we begin. But, you know, I love your story, though, because you are a first-generation American of Jamaican heritage. And it says, you know, in your bio that you began your political career in Florida and you were volunteering for numerous like local races. So I'm curious to know, you know, what on earth drew you into politics and to American politics specifically? <laughs> oh, that is a really good question. Um, and I think it starts with my mom. I can remember distinctly. Uh, and my mom is such an interesting character beyond being my mother. I'm a storyteller. So my mom is a character right in in the story of my life right and my mom came to this country with a hundred dollar bill in a suitcase as she likes to put it and she is in my opinion the quintessential version of the american dream because she worked tooth and nail to ensure that her kid's life will be better than her own but she's also somebody that believes that the american dream also comes with responsibility and one of one of those responsibilities is being part of the American democracy. And so I remember distinctly, I might have been, I, the year was 1992, so I was very young. And I remember going to vote with her for Bill Clinton for the first time. I remember where we went to vo vote. Our, our precinct then was Florida Bible School um, in Miramar, Florida. And I remember going with her to vote. And I think in that moment, she said to me, Mind you, this is a woman who had not lived in the United States of America for majority of her childhood life. So she did not, she wasn't somebody who was, her origin story was a civil rights movement. But she said very clearly to me, there was a lot of people that put their bodies and their lives on the line so that we have this right. And you never should take this right for granted and go further. You should fight to ensure that you have this right. So as a result of that, that was the beginning of my political experience, right? Is going with my mom to vote. And I went with her to vote every time after that. And as soon as I could get involved in the democratic process, I did. I remember volunteering for campaigns, not knowing that my life would end up being a storyteller, but it seems as though my mom and all of her friends knew that I would, my life would be, I would, I would have a life in storytelling because they seemed to prepare me for this. Another character in my life was my godmother who recently turned 75 years old this year. And I went to her birthday and I told, they asked me to speak. And it's very, I don't, as much as I'm, I talk on television every day, speaking in front of a crowd of people, a crowd of people that you know is very weird. Um, <laughs> but I, I told the story of 
the time that when I was a little kid, I might've been two or three years old. My godmother bought me a Fisher price karaoke machine, my joker with the little microphones attached. <laughs> and I mean, at first it ran out of batteries immediately, but I would just walk around the house and I would get on top of chairs and I would sort of use my little Fisher price magazine, my little Fisher price karaoke machine. And I would talk to nobody. And so the fact that I'm doing what I'm doing now has everything to do with, I like to call them this wild band of registered nurses who are all (laughs) black women who saw what I didn't see in myself back then. And I wouldn't be here without them. And so I am blessed that they saw the storyteller in me and that I'm probably living out their dream as well as my own. Oh, that's wonderful. It's especially wonderful because it also speaks to the idea of bringing the next generation is brought forward by the vision and care and love of the previous generation. I mean, that's how families move forward, right? Generationally. So it's wonderful that you experience that. It also makes me think of the fact that there are so many young black people who are disenfranchised by the process. And I wonder, and one of my questions for you, because you were a millennial who got involved, we see the opposite where there's so many black young voters who are potential voters who don't think their voice makes a difference. They don't even think like, why bother? I mean, I'm sure you understand all those different scenarios in which someone may make that assessment. What would you say to those kids about why they should maybe try to work through that sentiment? Look, I, I get it. I understand it, right? I mean, because I think I'm I'm blessed that I live at this. I live at I live at all these amazing intersections in life, right? I think what some people, as they, as the good book says, uh, what you know, one man sees as a, what 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 they see as a curse is a blessing, right? And so, because I I'm, I'm a black gay first generation American, all of these intersections wrapped into one allows me to be the ultimate, I think allows me to be the ultimate storyteller, but also allows me to see the world from all these different layers and nuances. And, and so I understand there's so, it's so easy to be not involved in the process because it's the easy thing to do, right? The hard thing is to be involved in a process that makes it impossible for you to be involved in it. And what I learned as being a first generation American through my mom's eyes she came to this country and she had to reassess and she had to reevaluate and she sort of had to recalculate her understanding of power, right? Because we're in the nation of Jamaica, even, it, even though when she was born, Jamaica was a colony of the United Kingdom, everybody around her power structure was a person of color. The principal of her school was a black person. The prime minister, the person that ran the country, the person that she saw immediately in front of her was a black person. The mayor was a black person. The head of the police was a black person. The police officer in her community was a black person. The pastor was a black person. So everybody around her was a person of color. And so when she came to the United States and she realized there was this racial dynamic right, that was built on white supremacy, that was built on racism, she had to re-sort of rejigger the coding in her own mind. But because she had that coding that she was a woman, not a black woman, but she was a woman first and then a black person second because of where she was from, not where the, the existence that we have in America, she instilled in me this idea that you've got to do the hard part, right? You've got to be involved because the easy way out is not okay. And so I urge all the folks that are listening and they can, that are listening to this podcast, don't take the easy way out because when you take the way, when you take the easy way out, 
that is when they could, that's when you're on the menu, right? And you're not, you don't have the seat at the table, but we've got to fight like hell to make sure that we have a seat at the table. And we've got to use every tool in our toolbox to make sure that we have a seat at the table. For some of us, that tool is running for office. For others, like myself, that tool is using our voice and our role as storytellers to make sure that we're telling the stories of our people and our people's successes and our people's joys, but we're also telling the stories of our people's pain so that people don't look away. But at the same time, some people, your power is voting. Others, your power is showing up to a protest. Others, your power is showing up to a, a city council meeting or showing up to a school board meeting and making sure that your voice is heard. But taking the easy way out and sitting it out, right, means that the person who comes after you, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, right, they're going to have to work just a little bit harder. And the goal here is to make sure they have to work a little less, like they, 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 you make their life a little bit easier instead of making it a little bit harder. I love that. I love the connection between the intersectionality that you mentioned, because we all sort of have our version of it. And you just mentioned like your mother's version of it was that she was a woman, but she was a woman uh, from Jamaica, but then she came to America. So then she has to try to identify as a, uh, as an American woman, but she's not actually an American woman. And she's trying to kind of figure out what that means as far as how she can thrive and be her most authentic self. And I thought about that in your context as well, because as you mentioned yourself, you check a lot of boxes too, right? You have, you're a black American, you are of Jamaican heritage, you identify as gay. And at the same time, we are sort of like forced in many ways. Cause I, well, other than Jamaican heritage, I have the exact same boxes I check as you. We are sort of forced to try to figure out which one shows up first in a way. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and it's a weird kind of intersectionality because there are times when I don't really understand if um, what supersedes which. Like, you know, do you decide? Do you have to decide? You know, based on the situation, am I a gay man today? Am I a black man today? Am I a gay black man today? You know, there's this weird sort of dichotomy. So, I mean, how do you assess that? Are you just just you, and you just show up as your authentic self? Listen, I show up as my authentic self, understanding with a keen understanding of how the world sees me. And I think that's really important that you, how you show up and how the world sees you oftentimes are two different things, mm. but you have to live in your own shoes and you have to, you, you have to live in your own shoes. You need to be very comfortable in your own, in your own shoes. I think uh, the Beyonce, like the Beyonce, everybody's thinking about talking about Renaissance, <laughs> comfortable yeah. in my skin, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm happy with who I am. And so you have to be comfortable and happy with who you are and live in that and own that and love that and mm -hmm. hold on to that because that is what keeps you moving no matter what they say. Yeah. And then you have to also have this clear understanding of how they see you and living in the dichotomy of those two things. And I think the power that storytellers have and as a storyteller, sadly, I think what has happened in our culture and what's happened in our society is for the, po the powers that be have created these invisible boxes and these boxes are indeed invisible. All right. My mom is a registered nurse. And what she loves to tell, what she loves to say, and if she was doing this interview, I'm sure she would say it, is when you cut a body open, <laughs> all the body parts look the same. I mean, come on, right? Yeah. So, but what the powers that be have done is they've created all these invisible boxes, whether it be race, whether it be gender, whether it be sexuality. And when you create these invisible boxes, you can create division. Hmm. And through the power of stories, what you're able to do is tell people you're create, you're able to, to, to talk about people's humanity. Yeah. And my goal in telling stories, especially the work I do at Forbes is 
to say your humanity and somebody else's humanity are, are connected. And the best example of that is take what's happening in Chicago. So in Chicago, every night, another Black mother loses a child because of gun violence. Mm. And while that's happening, you take a place like West Virginia or Arkansas or Oklahoma, places that have been at the front lines of this opioid crisis and this fentanyl crisis, and there you have a mother every night losing a child right, from drug abuse. Both of these mothers should be united together in a fight against government neglect Mm. because both of these mothers are victims Mm. of a government that has failed them. In one case, the government has failed to pass regulation to stop the proliferation of illegal guns. In another case, the government has failed to regulate an industry that has pushed, understanding the harms, Mm. has pushed drugs legally onto the streets that has killed hundreds of thousands of Americans. The government has failed both of these women. These women should be united in a campaign to change, more more than united in a campaign. These women should be elected officials and they should be sitting at the table writing policies. But we've created these invisible boxes in our society that says these women should hate each other. And what you see happen electorally is these women vote the opposite way on election day. Yeah, that's the peculiar part. And it happens so often, especially in the areas that are like, oddly enough, the maybe the most impoverished, if you will, of the country, for example, or at least educated. And they continue to vote for the people who have kept them in those boxes, as you've described them. That's astounding. Now, what do you think that's about? Do you think that's about tribalism in which they are just sticking to who they know or what they what's familiar versus making an actual change? Oh, no, I think that there is. I think it's a very intentional move to keep these individuals divided on the lines of race, on the lines of socioeconomic status, on all these different invisible boxes that are not real. They're not real. <laughs> They're not real boxes. And what we've got to, and, and I think what the power of stories allow us to do is to slowly but surely move these boxes out the way a little bit and allow folks to see each other as humans and to look each other in the eyes and say, wait a minute, there's more that unites us than divides us. And the people that are pulling the strings that divide us, they're over there. And that's where our ire should be focused instead of our ire being focused on each other. And I think that is the sort of, that's the tool. Like I said, we have to use every tool in our toolbox. And I think one of the tools that we can use and why I'm blessed that I I have the the privilege to be a storyteller is I think stories is one of our most valuable tools that we have. Because when you tell a story, you're allowed to start to talk about people's lived experience. You're allowed to talk about people's humanity. And, And when you're allowed to see somebody as a human, not by the color of their skin, not by who they decide to go to bed with, not by how they sexually identify, not by how much money they make, but by about the fact that they wake up every morning and some some of them put two feet on the ground and they walk like you, they breathe like you. It makes a world of difference. And I've been blessed that I've gotten to see and, and meet different people in my life. And I, I met a Holocaust survivor, Giselle, and I'll never forget what she said to me. I asked her what if she had a chance to speak to the Nazis, what she would say. And what she said to me was, why didn't, why didn't they see me as a human? And those words, when she said them, literally were tattooed on my mind as a storyteller, because that is the point. They, they, cause, cause that's what often happens, right? 
to begin where we begin our conversation, I want asking how people show up and how you're seen in the world, right? When they can take away your humanity, right? When they could say you're less than somebody else, then people don't see you as a human. And she went further to say, they, I had two eyes, I had a nose, I had a mouth, I had two ears just like them. But for some reason, they couldn't see me as a human. And she went further to say, because if they could see me as a human, then they wouldn't have done this to me and to my family. And I think that same argument applies to slavery. That same argument applies to the, what ha what's happening in the LGBTQIA community and what's happening to them. That same argument applies to the fact that just a couple of weeks ago, you have governors, well, it's still happening, governors and mayors, right, putting folks on planes and sending them to other parts of the country without taking into consideration their humanity. Now, we can have a debate, and I'm willing to have a debate, and I think a debate's warranted around what America's immigration policies should be and could absolutely, be. Absolutely, absolutely. But that notwithstanding, do not delete or depreciate these individuals and their humanity. And I think that's what stories, what storytelling allows us to do is to put some humanity back into it. Because I think as a society, what we've done, especially because of social media and so many other things, is like, we're, it's so quick to take somebody's humanity away from them. Mm, um, yeah. and, and I think we've got to put it back in. <laughs> if that makes any sense. No, that's beautifully stated. And I agree with you. It's funny. My partner and I were having the conversation too. I said, I don't argue the fact that yes, the Northern states might need to pick up some of the slack. It is not fair that just geographically, because they happen to be border states, that they take the brunt of it. It's the lack of humanity is exactly what I said. It's a lack of coordination, the potential, what we think may have happened where people were deceived and all those horrible things when they were just trying to live basically, as we understand it, seeking asylum. So I completely agree with you on that. And also, I think what matters too is, you know, you talked about the idea of the storytelling. I'm a bit alarmed where we're moving now, where there's this concerted effort to remove the stories. There's this amazing Instagram video with Tom Hanks going around. You may have seen it where Tom Hanks <laughs> talks about how angry he was like just, you know, a couple of years ago reading the New York times. And he's, it's the first time he had heard about the Tulsa massacre. And he's like, I'm 65 years old. How did I not know that happened? And we all know that's one of many of those sorts of massacres. But I think what's alarming to me is that there's these efforts being made to remove the stories. So that's concerning. I'm not sure if, you know, I mean, we could tell the stories, but then if they're burning books and they're, you know, making it illegal, for example, to talk about slavery and all these. I mean, I just don't know how we combat that. So I think that ties back to, to disenfranchisement. When it gets to that level of oppression and suppression, you feel completely bereft. So not to be, you know, not to be a, na a negative Nancy here, but <laughs> I love <laughs> I your optimism, but it's, it's tough, you know? Oh, no. I mean, there's no question. Like I said, that the easy part, the easiest <laughs> thing to do is to close your curtains. Yeah. Lock your door. If you're blessed to have a door and you're blessed to have curtains. Yeah. To yeah. lock your door, close your curtains, turn off the lights and hide. That's the easy way out. The hard thing to do is to whatever tool God is giving you is to fight back. Uh, and to your point, I think when the fight Right. And when the, the suppression and I would I would go further and say the subversion goes to we're going to start to delete the stories or we're going to start to alter how we talk about what was. That is when 
the fight becomes more intense, right? And that's as my mom would say, that's when the fire becomes a little, when the fire gets a little hot. Because it, to your point, it, it, it speaks to how, it speaks to the dehumanization, right? Because when you're not willing to say this thing happened, when you're not willing to talk about the bitter with the sweet, and you only want to talk about the sweet, and you don't want to talk about the bitterness, then you miss the good parts of the, then you miss the making of the story. My side hustle, if I could say that, right? I'm a, <laughs> yes. I, I enjoy cooking. Everybody has to have one. Yes. <laughs> I could cook all day. I enjoy cooking. It's one of my favorite things to do. And I often tell people, people who like, people who enjoy seafood, right? Miss the fact that when you get the fish, it is the smelliest, ugliest looking thing ever. <laughs> and you have to scale it. You have to, you have to, you have to take the fins out of it. You have to cut the fins off. You have to, you know, gut the fish and that part is ugly and it's awful and it's smelly and it, it's messy. But you got to do all of that to get to the goodness of the fish. And so and when we talk about and if you if American if American history is a fish, right, there's parts of it that are smelly and there are parts of it that are messy and there are parts of it that are awful and there are parts of it that you don't want to see and you don't want to talk about. Mm. So there's a lot of folks in this country for bad, right? That want to just talk about the beautiful filet that shows up on your plate when you go to a nice restaurant. <laughs> right, right. And they don't want to talk about the fact that before you got to that filet at the white tablecloth on the beautiful white plate, that the chef had to go through and the chef had to gut the fish and take the gills out. And I think that, that you have to tell the whole story to get to the beautiful filet. When you start banning books and you start denying the parts of history or you start to sort of put sugar on some parts of history that are really salty, mm. you begin to erase what people's lived experiences are and the impact that those lived experiences have on that filet that you get at the end of the day, mm -hmm. right? Because you don't have a beautiful filet if you don't have the guts and you don't have the gills and you don't have the fins and you don't have the scales that all has to be taken off. America doesn't get to be the world's largest economy and gets to tell this Amer this beautiful American story without the 400 years mm. of free labor, without the 100 years of Jim Crow that happened after that, without the, the 50 years of redlining and the failed war on drugs, without the suppression of women, women not having the right to vote until the middle of the 20th century, without the suppression of LGBTQIA Americans who live in this country in the shadows for decades, without the story and the degradation of immigrant people. I mean, without the genocide of Native Americans, none of that, well, without all of those pieces, you don't get this beautiful filet on a white tablecloth that America presents to the world. And so when people try to erase it and they just try to live in this beauty of America with the flag sort of waving at you, mm. which is this beautiful white, like beautiful white fish filet that they like to serve up at a nice, a nice five-star restaurant, you have to go through all those other parts. And when you delete those other parts, the filet is not as beautiful. Richard Fowler, thank you so much for joining me today here at Motivational Mondays. It's been enlightening and an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. And uh, it's, good to, it's good to be with you. And listen, you brought up Oprah earlier, so I'll end with this. One of her best quotes she made, it was on her, her final season. She says, gratefulness is the greatest prayer that anybody can have. So I'm grateful to be with you and your amazing audience. So thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.